0: You guys trailed 4-0, 7-4. You hit five home runs, you scored 13 runs in a game started by Clayton Kershaw. As you stand here right now, what do you remember most, or what will you remember most about this game? I remember we went down 4 to nothing early. Me, Altuve, Correa, Yuli, were standing behind the mound, and we said, hey, our backs are against the wall right here. Why not have fun and play loose Springer came into the dugout hey why not play loose that was the mindset Springer came up huge walk then got us going as soon as Springer got that first walk got us going then they go up by another run and Springer hits another homer you got to be kidding me. Kershaw tipping pitches. CJ, how does the hitter see that and take advantage? Well, first and foremost, Chris, if it did happen, it always happens when the pitcher is in the stretch. Rarely can you pick up pitches when a guy is thrown from the lineup, and that's what we saw in that seventh inning.
1: Wow. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing.
0: I might just say wow repeatedly, like huddled in the corner for the rest (laughs) of this whole podcast.
1: I don't even know how to... I process
0: really anything that has happened in the last week. I've forgotten everything about myself and the world <laughs> because of last night's game. Can I just start by like getting up on my soapbox and preaching for a minute?
1: Uh, yeah, go for it.
0: First of all, if you can't get into this, like if you can't get into baseball when it's like this, it says more about you than it says about the game. A, that's A. B, if you have some crazy hot take about how the game is ruined because all we do is hit home runs now and we don't move the runner over and and pitchers it's not a pitcher's duel anymore it also says something about you uh and see every once in a while there's like a baseball game that sort of resets my idea for what a great baseball game is this baseball game was not one of those this was like this knocked my entire world off its axis and it reset my idea of what life was not even just baseball like life in general i was like this i don't believe anything that's going on in front of my eyes and literally anything could happen and it would be more believable than this game right now
1: so we're obviously we're recording this on uh, a monday evening just off the heels of game 5 which if you don't know what happened, I really don't know what rock it is that you're living under.
0: Also, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. If you <laughs> if you were not blown away by Game 5, it's very odd to me that you would be listening to tipping pitches.
1: <laughs> so it was obviously, I mean, the Astros won 13-12, to 12 and between the two teams, I mean, I don't know what sport this was, but it wasn't baseball. It was not baseball that we were watching last night. And so there were, you know, seven home runs, and... Most of the pitchers were awful and most of the hitters were incredible or a little bit of both. I don't even I don't even know. I don't even know how to process this sort of thing. And it was it gave me a heart attack and it gave me uh, I fucking passed out a few times. <laughs> and I don't know if he's like every range of emotions. This checked all the boxes of and. and but also
0: I s- somehow felt nothing. Yeah. I was watching it, and I was just like, everything is happening to me all at once. I don't know what to do. I don't feel anything. <laughs> yeah.
1: We will go through um, just some of the wild and insane shit that happened in this game. What I do want to say is you you pointed out to me a, a Jeff Perlman tweet um, <laughs> where where he was saying he wished that the Jeff game Perlman, was- Jeff Perlman, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, His yeah. book
0: has been read on this podcast before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, that, that he was wishing for a- one nothing game and honestly my mom said something to uh, a similar effect that she would rather see a a pitcher's duel a game like this is insane i'm not going to lie sometimes it's a little boring what what does
0: this take i
1: i hope that we don't see a game like this the rest of the series certainly i don't want to see a game like this again personally I think you you can get if you want to get like we were going to get a a game like this in 2017 like this was the <laughs> this was the logical conclusion. Well, that's I, like yeah.
0: After the game ended, I literally could not sleep, so I decided to write a blog post. You should go check it out on Tipping Pitches. <laughs> but I literally wrote all logic pointed to the fact that Clayton Kershaw was going to nail this down, and he had a four nothing lead. And even though he didn't have his best stuff, he had decent stuff last night. But it's 2017, so why the fuck would any logic make sense in baseball?
1: Yeah. Uh, And I think that there are um, a couple ways of looking at it. And one is that, especially from the perspective of if you want to get new fans engaged in the sport, this is the game to show them. Like, (laughs) obviously, I mean, this is the platonic ideal for, like, heart racing. Like, you don't know what the fuck is going on, but you're so into it. This is, I think, one way that you can really get fans engaged with the caveat that you will never see anything like this ever again.
0: (laughs) Feels like a pretty important caveat. (laughs) Very important. (laughs) I'm going to show you this thing that's nothing like the rest of the things. (laughs) Although I want you to continue to watch the thing. So I think that
1: you can appreciate the madness and chaos of a game like this and be absolutely in love with it and just kind of in awe and absolutely shook to the core, but also acknowledge that it was not a good baseball game.
0: Like, oh like no. there was I mean, not
1: good baseball being played, and from that perspective, I think that I'm not gonna lie like once it reached the the eighth or ninth inning, I kind of started to not zone out, but I was kind of my my heart had settled down, and I was like, all right i've yeah, well, there we, don't, was a we comedown, don't we don't need sure. another another home run. Like I kind of <laughs> just want the game to end, and it was five hours long, and I I get that it was five hours of of just kind of enthralling madness, but I was a little tired by the end, and I was kind of like, I'm ready, I am ready for a game like this to be over, which is not exactly the feeling that you want to get when you're watching a World Series game. You know what I mean?
0: Although I will say, while I I sort of agree and I see where you're coming from. Like, do I want another game like this to to happen? No, because like this was more like arcade baseball than like real baseball, right? This was more like, uh, like I saw the common joke on Twitter among like inside baseball Twitter was, this was more like the aluminum bat cheat code in Backyard Baseball. And true, okay, fair point. However, the thing about this game though is that While it sort of got to a point of like, this is an absolute circus, this is chaos, the incredible players that were on the field were still being showcased in a way that was true to who they are, right? And so like, Altuve hitting a home run, Springer hitting a home run, Correa hitting a home run, and and those guys showing up in a big moment and on the world's biggest stage at age 23 or younger was not a gimmick right like these this is what these players do and it's what they've been doing all year and to see them do it on the world stage is just so exciting to me and so I, I sort of see where you're coming from but i think to have a game like this where it was just pure absolute it's like it was like drinking concentrate coffee or something like that and and to see the life in these guys springer is like maybe the least talked about player of those guys that i just named but like would be the best player on 24 teams in the league maybe (laughs) and just like the pure honesty and the pure not not even like naivete for the moment but it's just like they're they play loose because they're young and they're fucking great like and they know it but they're not cocky about it or anything like that it's not off-putting it's just like they play the game with such liveliness and if that means having to have a 13 12 game where by the end i'm like the mr Krabs meme and i don't know (laughs) where i am so be it because we got to see these guys on the biggest stage perform in what was an absolute like avalanche of a game and just to like list it off like Springer his post game interviews have just given me utter life in this series because i mean if you don't know about Springer he like had a stutter for most of his life and he's been overcoming it and in the in the post game interviews just like the the emotion of the game has brought back that stutter a little bit and you can tell how nervous he is to get over the interviews like this guy just performed Top notch in a World Series game and did it almost effortlessly. He hit a ball like 450 feet and it exploded on impact. And the post game interview literally exploded. And the post game interview with Ken Rosenthal is the hardest part of his (laughs) night, right? And then you got Bregman who came up big in a situation where. I don't know. Would you have been surprised if this he just struck out right there? This game went like twenty five innings. I would not have exactly.
1: And <laughs> then we we honestly probably would have deserved that too. Just yeah. just literally stay up all night. <laughs> you know, <don't, laughs> this game w- will not let you finish watching it.
0: And then the electricity of of Altuve, who's been around a little longer, but is like, yo, I am no slump either. I am still young and I am still fucking great, and I am going to challenge Pete Rose's hits record. And then to top it all off, the absolute elation. Of Carlos Correa on Bregman's game winning hit, and him just being delirious, jumping over the fence of the dugout, running. And if you haven't seen the video, you have to see it because he's like, he's waving the runner on and he's telling him slide, 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 get down. And then as soon as the run scores, he goes into a dead Usain Bolt sprint out to second base to congratulate Alex Bregman for his game winning hit. And I, I, while I see your point, I would also raise the fact that had this game not been so crazy in an absolute circus maybe we don't get that same delirium that showcases the, the correct guys on the world's biggest stage
1: yeah and i agree with you on on all of those points that this astros team is a- amazing to to watch play baseball on a national stage and again if you're trying to get anyone new into baseball you'd be like just watch them just watch this I like cannot, just I, like, watch I this one through eight lineup
0: Hit the ball. I can't even process how likable they are. Yeah. Like, with the exception of, we're going to talk about Yuli Gurriel later, but just the young guys on this team, how honest and wholeheartedly they play the game, and with such joy and passion and electricity and flair... Right. we talk about flair a lot with Yasiel Puig, but these guys on the Astros have incredible flair. Yeah, and to see a battle like this is honestly just like baseball nerd utopia. <laughs> I don't even know how to process it.
1: Yeah, and I think that you, I think that both points can stand. That this is. One of the wildest, craziest, most beautiful, fucking terrible baseball <laughs> games I've ever watched. This game and is it ev- was yeah. and it was amazing and I never want to see it again.
0: This game was everything and nothing all at the same time. Yeah. This game was the exception that proves the rule of how great baseball is. Right. Like you see this once and you're like, oh, I missed routine outs. <laughs> I missed the I missed the ability to rely on Clayton Kershaw getting someone out. Yeah. Throwing a slider for a strike. I missed that ability. And when it comes back, I'll be like, oh, that's what that feels like. <laughs> I won't necessarily miss back-to-back-to-back home runs where my head explodes because I could use a head. like that, that is helpful to me as a soon-to-be college graduate.
1: There were so many storylines in this game. I don't even... I mean, we've already mentioned some, but I want to... Before we move on to talk about the the rest of the baseball games... Yeah, we have not talked played, since before, like, the,
0: before the series started. <laughs> we like, have
1: so much to talk about. But a few things that stood out to me about this baseball game. One, they 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 ran out of commercials like <laughs> like after nine innings they were like or after eight innings or whatever i don't even know they were just like yeah we don't have any more commercials and then they got them back
0: watch capitalism work
1: <laughs> yeah they just like lost the commercial i don't i don't know what happened
0: i have no I idea i doubt that they were expecting this to go not that it went entirely too long innings wise because it ended in the 10th but Time wise, just because of all the home runs and the pitching changes and, and everything that yeah. makes twenty seventeen baseball so long. They literally ran out of commercials and I imagine that some Fox executive had to sign off on the like backup reservoir of commercials that oh. weren't really approved for MLB or whatever, approved yeah. by MLB. I don't know. Yeah. Apple, I don't know how that Apple, process works, but
1: Apple is sitting there watching the game and MLB calls them up in like the ninth inning and is like, Hey uh, you guys wanna wanna buy another commercial for like ten minutes from now? Because uh we got you if you want it. <laughs>
0: they're literally making transactions over venmo
1: <laughs> yeah. that, that is that's one other thing that i want to point out is that like a game like this i mean the the length is is obvious but the amount of like pitching changes and commercial breaks that you have to sit through i'm just like oh come on just like i want one clean inning where like you're not uh burning a guy who is pitching 3 days in a row or something Fucked up like that. Poor Brandon Morrow. God, I feel that's the I feel so bad for literally anyone who was unlucky enough to pitch in that game, but especially Brandon Morrow. Yeah,
0: like Kenley Jensen, uh, two nights ago won the award for best reliever in the NL, and he looks like he's serving up fucking batting practice out there. Yeah. And he's like the the best pitcher in the league in a one-inning sample size, right? Like it just I we have to talk about the Hashtag Slick Balls later, but like, <laughs> and probably have to talk about Jose Canseco. But for now, we need to discuss the rest of the series because we would be remiss if we did not talk about games one, one two, two, three, <laughs> and four, which were equally absurd and, yeah. and equally good baseball. Yeah.
1: Uh, also, George Springer made a bad decision and in diving for that baseball. And he made up for it with a home run. Also, the strike zone was bad.
0: Okay, looking back on this, I I wrote this in that post that I was talking about, but it all seems so inevitable, right? Like, looking back on it and thinking, oh, Springer fucked up, and he dove, and he missed the ball. Of course he's going to come up and atone for his sins, right? Like, of course he's going to mash one because that's just what – sluggers do in this narrative on this stage but like n- no that's actually not what sluggers do like bill buckner didn't get up in game seven and go three for four with two home runs and five rbis like yeah where was daniel murphy's redemption oh, come on man <laughs> <laughs> but like it, it doesn't always happen that way and to to reconsider this game in the light that like nothing that happened was really preordained to have happened right like not this all completely went off the rails and none of it had to even happen like this yeah and no combination of world events could lead us to that game ever again (laughs) it will never happen ever again that that game exists in a vacuum unless they start playing with fucking lacrosse balls and aluminum bats that game will never happen ever again (laughs) uh also
1: Yasiel Puig hit a home run a one-handed home run where the ball was in the other fucking batter's
0: box. At his shins. <laughs> he literally golfed. I mean, literally, he looked like it was Tiger Woods-esque. Uh,
1: I just, like, I'm remembering stuff as we talk about the game more and more. I, I, I can't even. This is a legit I, stream, stream of consciousness. We're just yelling. I, I can't even. We have to talk about the other the okay. other baseball that was played. I don't see it like
0: it's us and them. I just see
1: everybody working for that same internal.
0: so tired of it and who's to say that we can't just fucking so the series it started out normal it was very normal. dare i say pedestrian yeah
1: i mean it was like a game one was a good baseball game i mean it oh, was... i
0: loved game one i mean the anticipation of the pitching matchup really lived up i think and even though, like, Keichel wasn't his 2015 Cy Young dominant self, Kershaw, I mean, Kershaw was outstanding. The execution, the, there it is, the, mm. the execution. The, the execution that analysts expected actually happened in a way that it hasn't really happened in every game since then. Yeah. But game one really, like, it set the tone in a way that totally flipped the script. It essentially just threw a change up low and away and then came with the high heat then the series came with the high heat in our freaking face for the rest of it. But I don't know. What do you even remember from Game One?
1: I don't. I vaguely remember Justin Turner being the hero, right? And I, I don't know. Didn't Chris Taylor do something? I remember Kershaw being dominant, right? And that's because I think that that's something. I know that at least I was really pulling for this postseason and especially World Series was, all right. Kershaw has to do it here. I'm sick of people talking about how he's unclutch in the postseason, and it's gonna forever follow him around, right? And so when he, in game one, when he comes out there and strikes out 11 guys and gives up one run in seven innings, I'm like, yes, this is this is what we needed. And obviously, game five comes around, and it just all goes to oh, shit, don't worry, right?
0: we're gonna see him in game seven. Oh yeah, we're he's gonna, gonna get
1: him. his chance. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of scared, honestly. <laughs> But uh, I, don't, I don't even, like, game one was a great baseball game, and I remember almost nothing about it.
0: Yeah, so it lulled us to sleep, and then game two happened, and it was like, it was like the watered-down version of game five. Eight home runs, a World Series record for a single game, and just the back-and-forth nature that we saw in game five. And after game two...
1: Yeah, but except pretty much all of it came, like, after the eighth inning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and after game two, I think I texted you and I said, oh my god, we might have to do an emergency recording for tomorrow. That was after Game Two, and that was Friday afternoon. We were just getting ready to bring this series back to Houston. We knew nothing about this series. We were so young. We were so naive. We didn't know anything. And I was like, "Wow, this series is insane. We might have to do an emergency recording after that." Yeah, it was. What we
1: saw that, and we were like, "Holy shit! There's no way that any other game will top this one. This is." We saw that, and we were like, "Well, uh, this is one of the craziest baseball games I've ever witnessed. That's, that's got to be a peak for this World Series."
0: Nope. Um, as you once so expertly put it. That was like we were sitting in the box with a uh, with the two-strike count. We were sitting maybe curveball. He threw the hook. We sat back on it. The catcher stood up and just shot us with a fucking 12-gauge. <laughs> that was us after yeah.
1: game two. Yeah, we weren't ready.
0: No. I don't know. Any other takeaways from the rest of the series? I mean, I don't want to spend the whole beginning half of our podcast just relaying play-by-plays from from the entire series so far but have there been narratives about this series that have surprised you? I mean other than the utter mayhem of it. What about these two teams that surprised you if anything? I mean we knew we were going to see two heavyweights go toe to toe. To borrow a cliche phrase, but has there been anything that's really caught you off guard about either of these teams?
1: I think I mean this goes hand in hand with the chaos and every ball, every fly ball leaving the yard, but like I don't think we were so ready for the bullpens to just be god-awful, right? Like, that was the thing coming in.
0: Maybe for Houston, and, but not for the Dodgers.
1: Right, yeah. You know, we've talked about it this whole um, postseason, and we've done episodes about, you know, the role that the bullpen might play and whether it's, you know, what these trends are looking like. And, of course, the World Series rolls around, and it all goes to shit. <laughs> and the bullpens are, like, in the majority of the game so far. Absolute, your game plan, absolutely your gameplay Absolutely like, meaningless. Yeah. I mean, and Carlos
0: Correa, I think it was Carlos Correa, hit a home run that was like 108 miles an hour off the bat, 48 degree launch angle. Yeah, there has been one other time this whole series or this whole season that Statcast recorded that, and it was a pop out to right field. Yep, <laughs> Like 250 <laughs> feet <laughs> to right field. So, yeah, it's just. We thought we could. This is why we felt stupid predicting because, like, what the hell? Like, how am I supposed to predict this? Yeah. If the Astros are going to hit a home run every at right bat, guess what? They're going to win. <laughs> it's just that simple.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's been, it's been crazy. I don't, I don't even know how to encapsulate it in a few words.
0: No. I mean, there, there is no way. There's no way to do it justice. But like, I think it's been really exciting that like these two teams, other than the bullpen's really melting down, which is what you said the lineups it's really been like we have gotten what we paid for right like we <laughs> the guys that are supposed to be doing it are doing it Alex Bregman before this was maybe one of the lesser talked about young phenoms of the game right because he plays next to Carlos Correa who bumped him off of his college position of shortstop and is now fitting into that super duper phenom mold of the likes of himself and Corey Seeger and Francisco Lindor, just, like, that young crop of golden shortstops that we talked about in, I think, like, our first or second podcast, right? And so, to see Alex Bregman shine alongside these guys, and there really is, like, no power struggle for the limelight. They've just, like, all lived it up together. And I saw, before the, before the series started, our... <laughs> favorite Mets beat reporter, James Wagner, (laughs) who we have cited multiple times on this show, friend of the pod. We got to get him on here. Yeah, we actually, yeah, we really actually should. Yeah. He wrote a piece about how, and he was the same one who wrote about uh, Wilmer Flores and and guys uh, and other Spanish speakers using the show Friends to help them with their English. So I guess like the Spanish speaking beat is his beat (laughs) other than the Mets. He writes for the New York Times. So (laughs) he wrote a story about how Alex Bregman has really worked on learning... Spanish this year um, and improving his Spanish and trying to become fluent and just how that's really brought the clubhouse together you know we'll link to in the description like we always do but just to see a clubhouse in such harmony like this when there's so much talent it just gives me hope for like the future of the game and I think that's so exciting to have a, a World Series matchup like this where there's not like competing narratives between these two teams it's not like the veteran team versus the young hotshot team that that just made it up it's like these two teams are both loaded with young talent and ostensibly are like working harmoniously and gonna be great for the next five to ten years. And so with a guy like Bregman not only having the supreme talent that he has, like he's made ridiculously clutch plays in the field. In the ALCS he made the throw that gunned out Greg Bird, which we talked about, and he made almost a almost a very similar play in the World Series, just to see To see stories like this from guys like James Wagner who aren't even on the beat, right? Like, who are not Astros beat reporters, but it's so evident in the team chemistry and and the team interactions. It's just real. It's really refreshing, man. In 2017, it's like, it's given me life.
1: Yeah, that that James Wagner story is a a really cool one. Uh, Just kind of given what we've talked about on this show about the support... Um, or lack thereof, that Spanish-speaking players get when they come over here. I mean, a lot of them get English lessons, um, or some of them do. Some of them take English lessons. Um, But American players oftentimes, I mean, American players don't receive lessons in Spanish, which he points out in the article. And so for Bregman to essentially go out of his way, and now it, it talks about how he had kind of started learning it when he was young, and he... Is from New Mexico as well, but for him to like put this... Albuquerque, right? Yeah, ABQ. Yeah. <laughs> so for him to like put this sort of effort in, I mean, I really can't imagine what this means. You know, as as him being in the, a, o- the only English speaking yeah. player uh, in the infield, the only primarily English speaking player, right? Yeah, well, no, they
0: all they all speak great English, but like right. I imagine like them meeting at the mound when Liriano is pitching, and everyone was just like throwing out Spanish super duper fast and Bregman's like I don't understand anything you're saying and then over the course of the season like to grow as a team together as an infield together as a unit together and for these guys to talk glowingly about Bregman trying to learn Spanish and and even the the veteran Carlos Beltran chiming in in this piece that James Wagner wrote shout out to those old Met ties I'm sure even him chiming in and being like it's so great to see like a young guy who actually cares about this because like there is no incentive. Yeah. There is no monetary incentive. There is no, it's not an expectation in a clubhouse, I don't think. I mean, I've, I've never really spent time in a clubhouse, but from what I know, it's not the end of the world if a white guy on a team doesn't speak Spanish. Yeah. You know, it's more often talked about a Spanish-speaking player who speaks good English and can translate back and forth and be like the gel guy, right? So this sort of flip of that narrative just talks about how this team feels pretty egalitarian, like this team feels pretty one for all.
1: I don't know what it is about the Texas teams, but both of them are really heavy on the amount of Spanish-speaking players that they have. I mean, the Texas Rangers infield is, I think, all Spanish speakers. and it's probably
0: just Texas, man.
1: Well, yeah, but but I mean, it's really interesting because these are players who come from all over Latin America, right? Altuve is Venezuelan, Correa is I think Puerto Rican, so as is Beltran, yeah, yeah. Um, and
0: Gurriel is from Cuba.
1: I just think it's really interesting, and and it's got to be a really different dynamic in that sort of clubhouse that is where a team like the Red Sox is or the I don't I don't know many other teams are largely dominated by English speakers and when that dan- dynamic in the clubhouse shifts so a little one bit One team
0: call out of the Red Sox <laughs> 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 Fuck the Red Sox, fuck Boston, it's Boston.
1: <laughs> No, but I gotta imagine maybe that plays a part in it, right? That Bregman kind of feels compelled. He's like, alright I'm not in the majority here anymore right? If we want to have good communication on the infield, and I know they're not out there all just like speaking Spanish to each other <laughs> on the infield um, but to kind of um, break that wall down a little bit more and and just build that relationship a little bit I agree with you I think it's really cool to see him do that and he is quickly rising to the top of my favorite Astros players although, oh my god yeah although so is Springer yeah. and so is Correa and, and Altuve is up like, there and also the Colors tie. is great 5 Boy tie
0: and uh, I've always loved Verlander yeah. like okay so I'd, I'm not trying to draw a direct link between like on-field execution and and chemistry and this spanish-speaking story with bregman but like it's so much easier to like your teammates when they do things that are likable and i know that seems obvious to say right but like if you're not doing things that if you're not going out of your way to do something for your teammate, then your teammate's not going to go out of their way to do something for you, and that doesn't necessarily translate directly on the field. But like, so when you see a really outstanding communicative play, like the one in Game Five, where they're trying to bunt the runners over to second and third, the Dodgers that is, they're trying to bunt the runners over to second and third, and I forget who was pitching at the time, but whoever comes up with it, you got McCann behind the plate just screaming three, 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 three.
1: Yeah, I think that was Peacock on the mound. I think.
0: Yeah, I believe it. I mean. It, when, <laughs> I believe when in, it sounds, sounds right <laughs> when in doubt and you're trying to guess what reliever was in for the Astros is probably Peacock because he's the only one that's lasted more than like two outs per outing and so when McCann's only three, 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 and Bregman is actually there it just reinforces the fact that he's there on the field he's there in the clubhouse he's there for his teammates and they're all there for each other so I mean I'm not trying to say that this they're all singing kumbaya after the game together but it certainly feels that way when you got Correa running onto the field in the middle of the game winning play and you got them ripping Bregman's shirt off after the game and then you have like Altuve and Verlander saying that they literally love each other and they've only been teammates for two months like god I I fucking love baseball so much like it's so outstanding when it's done correctly and when it's done harmoniously and when it's not dysfunctional like it is with like the Mets you know (laughs)
1: yeah Side note, that Dave Roberts bunt call was atrocious, man. Like indefensible. It's, it's the eighth inning of or seventh or eighth inning in a tie game, and you have a runner on second, and you're really trying to play small ball right now, that's what you're trying to do. Your cleanup hitter is up and you're gonna have him bunt the runner over. Yeah. Good call. Good call, buddy. How'd that work out for you? You're yep. trying to play for that one run <laughs> in a game where it was like fucking eight eight or something? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, uh, uh. Uh. I'm sorry I'm swearing so much. I'm just like getting into it. <laughs>
0: Me too. I am too. <laughs> All right. That just about wears it out for the other games. Although I, I can't let us break without talking about that insane Andre Ethier quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: so um so after game four, Tim Brown, who's a columnist for Yahoo Sports, uh wrote a piece about some of the mechanical adjustments that Cody Bellinger has been making just because he was really struggling at the plate in the first few games of the World Series. Um, he was kind of striking out left and right. And then and in game four, he had a couple really key doubles um, that were just due to some changes that he made. Um, but there's one anecdote in there involving Andre Ethier that I just want to read real quick. Um, and so this is from uh, earlier in the series. After the prior at bat, a strikeout, another strikeout, A teammate, veteran Andre Ethier, approached him, Bellinger, with an earnest mug, as though he'd come bearing insight, or wisdom, or hell, a tussle of the hair. Anything would do. With failure come good, hard lessons, and through lessons comes the man who could, for example, take over a series, at least put a ball in play. Presumably, Bellinger was all for that. So he looked up, and his pal Andre Ethier leaned in and said, as Ethier recalled later, you might as well not bring a bat up there anymore. You have the same chance. <laughs> then he went and found his regular place on the dugout rail.
0: Oh. Roasted my guy.
1: I love Andre Ethier even more now.
0: Yeah. Well, Bellinger kind of deserved it, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was going up there. Hey, if you can't rib your teammates a little bit, you can't have that harmony we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So, you know. Bellinger needed to take a couple pitches, needed to go the other way, and he did. He hit a he hit two doubles opposite way in game three, I believe the one that they uh hell if I know, I don't even know what fucking game. It was. Nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah. But it was probably game four, and so maybe it worked. Yeah, who knows? I Everyone know. has their methods. It reminds me of that Zach Greinke anecdote
1: I shared with you earlier this year, the one where I don't remember who it was, but he was there was like a hitter who was like struggling at the plate. Oh yeah, and Zach Greinke, the the veteran. I think he may have been on the like brewers at this point or something like that or or uh, royals i don't fucking know um but like the vet- low-key a lot of teams a lot of teams but zach cranky like comes over to the player and the player is like oh shit zach granke's gonna like help me out and zach granke's like come to the film room with me i want to show you some stuff and this player is like oh tight this is awesome gets to the film room. real
0: student of the game is gonna show me what's up like he's a baseball <laughs> he's a baseball nut
1: zach granke pulls up a, a video of himself hitting a home run points to the screen and says do that and leaves <laughs>
0: Baseball is great. Actually legendary. Baseball is perfect. Yeah. Don't change
1: anything about it. Nope. Not a single thing.
0: All right. When we come back, the not so perfect side of baseball. (laughs) The couple things you actually should change. (laughs) I want a complete
1: redo. Maybe change my name. Report the losses, grab the claim. If this shame is such a shame, we're pissing away our time. Cause we're pissing away. No monumental moment ever came from saying, come on, dude, just take one more shot. So there was, a, there was some great baseball stuff that happened this week, yeah?
0: Yes, outstanding, as we just, we were on our soapboxes. I, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I was like, can I get on my soapbox? I just never got off. <laughs> we just You climbed up with me and we just shouted <laughs> from the rooftops,
1: baseball is perfect. There's some not great baseball stuff that happened this week, too.
0: Yeah, you know, every... Action leads to a reaction, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> something Isaac Duden, something. Okay. But, you know, all jokes aside. So it was game three. Yeah, I think so. That Yuli Guriel hit a home run off uh, Dodgers pitcher Yu Darvish, who we talked at length about when he got traded to the Dodgers, and we were like, this is a cheat code. The Dodgers are going to win the World Series easily now. But Yuli Guriel came up, and he hit a home run off of him, and rounded the base, celebration, gets back to the dugout, camera's on him still. And he does a racist gesture, pulling his eyes back, essentially mocking the fact that Darvish is Asian. And he used an offensive slang Spanish word, which means little Chinese boy. And Darvish himself is Japanese. But, you know, to Darvish's credit, he came out after the game um, and tweeted, like, we don't need to scorn Gurriel. We don't like I don't remember exactly what Darvish said. I don't know if you have that up, but.
1: Yeah, we don't I mean, I don't need to read the whole thing on here, but we can put it in the description. But he's basically saying that, like, no one is perfect. And we all make make mistakes. And he was really disappointed by what happened. But that he hopes that this is a lesson that we can all learn from. And he really wants us to to move on from it. And he hit he uh, he says, since we're living in such a wonderful world, let's stay positive and move forward instead of focusing on anger. I'm counting on everyone's big love, which big is love. just <laughs> big love. I have so much respect for Darvish. I mean, I already did, but he came out and was the bigger person in a situation like this. Big love, bigger person. In a in a time when it probably was not the easiest thing for him to do, right? he very well would have been warranted to come out and be like, that was bullshit because because it was. Yeah.
0: And not only that, like he had just gotten knocked around in the World Series on the biggest stage. Like he hasn't had a particularly decorated World Series career. He didn't have to handle this so gracefully and he didn't have to be the bigger person. It's what turned problematic was the way that many people took Darvish's grace as fodder to basically be racist, right? And basically be like, "Oh, well, you're, Yuli Gurriel didn't do anything wrong. Like Yuli Gurriel, Darvish said it was fine. So, so clearly he can do that. Like it's fine. And I don't want to say." No, I I do want to say like (laughs) the utter failure of MLB to step up to the plate here. And no pun intended, but like, if it's worth being suspended for a regular season game, it's worth being suspended for the playoffs and it's worth being suspended for the World Series. That's bullshit. You want to tell me that these players are not role models to kids? I mean, Jason Concepcion from The Ringer tweeted screenshots from the very next game of a little kid behind home plate doing the gesture that Gurriel did. And if you want to tell me... I mean, I'm stealing Concepcion's take here. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you want to tell me that these players are not role models to young fans and that young fans don't think it's okay to do this and then not be punished by the MLB till, hell, six months later, no one is going to remember the genuinely uh, layered racial aspects of this six months from now. And we're not going to have the conversation about it six months from now that we need to have. And now we're only talking about how the suspension was. Postpone till then we're not talking about the fact that like this is racist we're not talking about how we need to give in all languages we need to have better vernacular for how to speak about other races and and this conversation just gets completely lost because rob manfred is like oh i want the i want the series to have competitive balance what well if you want the series to have competitive balance tell your players not to be racist
1: yeah so he came out and like listed three things and i don't remember them off the top of my head but part of it was that he wanted guriel to like have some monetary loss that the reason he's spending it in the regular season is because it impacts its pay but like no but he also said that like he didn't want to hurt the astros which like no you're not hurting the astros guriel is the one who hurts the astros in this situation and pushing a suspension like this back like i can't imagine that if ken giles comes out and has uh, pine tar on his hat and is using it to like get a better grip on the ball or something that Manfred would delay his suspension. Like Why are you I've... slandering Ken Giles like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying any uh, something like that. Right? Yeah, no, like know. if a pitcher... He needs all the pine tar he can get at this point. <laughs> Yikes! Um, but you know, if it if it was the type of thing that like. Affected the play of the game, Manfred would have been like, "Yeah, you're out of the World Series." I find it very hard to believe that he wouldn't have done something right like that. And so you're right; uh, him pushing the suspension back to next year really just only shifts the conversation and shifts it from the back <laughs> from the fact that Guriel was like, "Oh, I didn't even realize I was doing it." Which, like, yeah, that's that's the point. <laughs> like, if you didn't realize you were doing it, that doesn't make you less racist. I would argue that makes you more racism. Yeah, ignorance is not
0: an excuse for racism. Oh, it
1: came naturally to you. Oh. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. I mean, so th- that's the way I stand on like I don't I don't know what like the specific rules are and what leeway they leave for Manfred, but if they leave any leeway, he should have suspended him for the World Series. If you want him to ha- take a monetary hit, fine him. It is c- to completely within your rights to fine him unless the MLB I'm sure the MLB Players Association, the union, would have fought him on that, because I I would imagine that Manfred's power, because the MLBPA is so much stronger than the NFLPA, I would imagine that Manfred's power just doesn't extend to dictatorial levels the way that Roger Goodell's does.
1: That actually was one other thing, is that by pushing the suspension back to next year, it still guarantees that guriel like has his right to appeal or something like that which makes me think that if he suspended him like immediately then he wouldn't have that right to appeal but like fuck it that's
0: yeah (laughs) like i i mean i'm here i am just stealing another ringer person's take but michael bauman made the point that like while the union does have the have the obligation to protect every member against uh the overextension of power from management and from the commissioner's office That is true. The union also has the obligation to protect every one of its members from racism, from bias in the workplace, and that's what this was. I mean, I know it was happening on national television. I know it was happening in the World Series, and it was happening on a public stage, but this is bias in the workplace. They are union members together. This was from one member of the union to another member of the union. Therefore, the MOBPA has the obligation to... to protect Darvish and other Asian players the same way that it would have if it was a white player doing it to a black player or a fan doing it to a player or a coach doing it to a player. You can't use, like, the loopholes of the the fines and the salaries and the appeals and all that to undermine the fact that this was just, like, a wrong thing to do from Guriel and that it should be punished, that he should not have the opportunity to continue to help his team after something that he did that was so heinous.
1: Uh, Dylan Hernandez of the Los Angeles Times wrote a column that was interesting because Hernandez writes, uh, is like a Dodgers beat reporter for the uh, Los Angeles Times. And he wrote a column basically not necessarily defending it, but kind of saying it's not something that you need, that people he thinks should be offended by. Hernandez um, is... Half Mexican, half Japanese, so he's kind of straddling these two sides, right? And yeah, he and, has a very unique perspective. On yes, this. and and was talking about how growing up, chinito, I think was the phrase, right? Which is yeah. which is what uh, Guriel said, was kind of thrown around almost not as a term of endearment, um, but like a, a nickname and and a didn't colloquial term, and, yeah, yes. and didn't always have the um, the didn't necessarily have the like racist loading i guess i don't i don't know it wasn't as as racially loaded as maybe people thought it would be i don't know i mean he obviously has a better perspective of this than i do
0: than both of us yeah
1: i don't i still don't know if i entirely agree with him because i think that (laughs) it was was still kind of racist like like that's the and combined with the pulling back the eyes thing i don't think guriel was meaning it in such a colloquial way yeah, he wasn't um, like,
0: there's my buddy. Yeah. Like he had just hit a home run off of him and he was almost like showboating. Yeah. Right? And, and like, okay, so that, that goes back to my original point in that in every language, English included, we just don't have the words. We don't have the vernacular to talk about these things properly. If, if Spanish speakers were raised that that is a blanket term for every person of Asian descent, that is racism on an institutional language level. Right. And I'm not saying that Spanish, this Spanish speaking culture that Gurriel comes from in Cuba or that Dylan Hernandez is referring to is inherently racist. I'm just saying that, like, we all have progress to make in 2017 in America. We don't even have words to we don't even have the correct terms to talk about people from different parts of Africa. We just say African-American and Africa is a entire continent with several countries. We don't have any room to be critical of the Spanish language. But at the same time, like there is no reason we cannot ask better from our role models, from role models, from the role models to our young baseball fans. There's no reason we can't ask better from them, because if they're not going to do better now, then perhaps the young white kid who's sitting behind home plate thinks that it's okay. And now you're really, you. that line is no longer as blurred as it is as Dylan Hernandez is talking about. Now it's just straight up racist because it's a white kid making fun of an Asian kid. Yeah. And that's not okay.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to point out that there were some people who were acting like Darvis said it was fine. Like he didn't care. Look, he he put out this statement that was very forgiving and stuff. But like it's important to remember that he still said he was offended by it. He still said he was disappointed and hurt by it. So the fact that he rose above and, and said that he wanted to move on does not in any way excuse the fact that this was a move that really hurt this person yeah. on a deeper level. And I
0: mean, Darvish, Darvish has the agency to decide how long he stays hurt, how he's going to respond to his hurt, whether he's going to turn it into a positive Twitter message or a more uh, didactic message to Guriel himself. Whatever it might be, Darvish has that agency and no one in the media right, left, center should take that agency away from him in any way.
1: Yeah. And I don't know. It feels like we see this happen in baseball a decent amount, too. I can just think of a few different times over the last couple of years that we have had, like, players or, or do something just absolutely abhorrent, like, within the game, not even coming from fans. But I remember, like... You know, Escobar a couple of years ago, like wrote a word that begins with F that is a derogatory term for gay people and wrote that on his eye black. And it's like, I don't know, tone deaf, (laughs) real tone deaf. (laughs) Darvish is right is that we need to rise above and and unify. But like, I don't know, maybe just don't do that. Yeah, it's it's pretty
0: easy. Yeah. So one tough topic takes us to another tough topic. Yes. From the world of the Oakland A's. Earlier in the season, we talked about what was really an uplifting story about the kneeling during the anthem protest coming to baseball in the form of Bruce Maxwell, who was from, who is from a military family, who articulated his point on why he was protesting very well, who had the support of the A's, um, had the support of his teammates. Everything went above and beyond what he needed to do to to protest, and recently. It came out that he was arrested. I don't know. Do you want to read off?
1: Yeah. So he was in Arizona, I guess at home. And there was a, he ordered, he like ordered food or something like that. And when the woman who was delivering his food showed up to the door, he opened the door and pointed a gun at the woman's head. And it came out later that he was, he seemed intoxicated. And he was, like, saying anti-police statements and stuff and really just not a good look. And so he was arrested. And this happened just a couple days ago. But it's really disappointing to see something like this happen after you have such an uplifting thing that he does um, earlier in the year. And not only—and it wasn't only the kneeling, but he was kind of— I think it was opening up this other side of him as someone who's more socially aware and when the fires were raging through wine country in California, he like kind of went up there alone and was just like chatting with the firefighters and helping with recovery efforts and uh, this just kind of, it. something like this does not negate everything that he did, but
0: it casts a real bad light on him. I think... It's important to note that no person is one thing and Bruce Maxwell is not just the anthem protest and not the the good things that he did during that this is an unfortunate thing that he did right but like that like you said that doesn't really negate everything that he did with the with uh, the protest during the national anthem but like we can't just sit here and be like oh let's just write it off because he did a good thing right like we have criticized many baseball players on this podcast for, violence and violence towards women and just behaving in unacceptable ways. And this is no different. So, yeah,
1: I mean, what he was doing when he knelt, clearly he's making a statement that is bigger than him. I mean, this whole movement, this anti-police brutality movement is so much bigger than any one individual. And, uh, you know, the actions uh, with the fires and everything, I mean, all of this stuff is bigger than him. But what this does is this reflects poorly on the entire movement, and just provides an opportunity for people who don't like the movement to discredit it, right? And be like, look at these, yeah. look at these th- I mean, it's going, it's which is fucking
0: bullshit. It's, like it's it the is, whole, it is bullshit. It's the whole like, uh, Black Lives Matter is looting everywhere across the country. Like that's not true. Yeah. that is just it's factually incorrect, and it gives right wing trolls the the ability and the fodder to like undercut this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which is obviously not right, but it's go- it's going to happen. Yeah. Fox News and Breitbart and, you know, whoever else have already picked this up and are running this story. So, and I'm, I'm not saying that... Of course they have. Yeah, yeah, of course they have. And I'm not saying that, like, that's on Maxwell to be like, well, what if I do something that Breitbart doesn't like? But, like, you know, it just requires some social awareness, right? And realizing that whether you like it or not, you're a part of this and you have kind of become the de facto face, at least in baseball, for this sort of thing. And with that kind of comes some responsibility. Separate from the fact that this is a shitty thing to do, even if you didn't kneel, right? I think that it provides him an opportunity, him and other players an opportunity, to speak out against violence against women as well. And it very well could be a learning experience for him. But this uh, this really hurts Yeah, I think it it hurts. It hurts a lot of what he was trying to do.
0: Well, I think it's important that like protesting injustice does not stop within the protesters. Right. Like if you believe in what he was kneeling for before, you should also believe in correcting what else is wrong about him. And and I think like there's a now an opportunity to talk about it. And and in this cultural moment of what. Feels hopefully like a wave of people speaking out against injustices that they don't believe in. I hope that someone steps up to this moment in baseball, but you know, I don't have a ton of faith with the way the game is constructed and with how, with the fact that he was the only one willing to kneel.
1: I mean, it, it very well could be him. I mean, he feels like the most obvious and most likely person to speak out against it and he kind of has an obligation to because you were kneeling for this other very important issue in society you fucked up take responsibility for it lead a lead a conversation about something else right i mean we have seen yeah but uh, also I mean,
0: but also listen as well yes like, you have now fucked up and now you need to listen about why you fucked up and potential and and fix that, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. But I didn't see any baseball players speak out against Rollis Chapman, right? No. I didn't spe- see any baseball players speak out against you know whoever Jose Reyes, right? So against I, Addison Russell. Against Addison Russell. I mean, I mean we, Russell, could to yeah. we could We could. go on. Familia. Yeah, it's too much. But so I I, I hope that it's something that he takes responsibility for, frankly. And that's not going to make it right, obviously, but. I don't know. We'll see we'll see what happens with this. But it's it's sad. It's sad to see.
0: Yeah. Alright, well, when we come back, we'll pivot forward to the rest of the world series. <laughs>
1: Some happy things. Yeah.
0: All right. I mean, you know, it's tough to talk about things like that, but if we're going to talk about Bruce Maxwell and we're going to champion him when he does something that we believe in, then we have to talk about him when he does something that we don't believe in. So back to the actual baseball, literally the actual baseball. (laughs) Uh, Tom Berducci writes this article for Sports Illustrated. You know, we all know about the juice ball, right? We're living in the juice ball era. Yeah, the ball is (laughs) juice, baby. Everything's jumping out. Shout out to Ben Lindbergh. He did the investigation. (laughs) He figured it out. MLB are all frauds, whatever. So we're living in the juice ball era. And and basically what that means if you're not up to speed, which hopefully you are if you listen to this podcast, but if you're not, you know, whatever.
1: I feel like we don't even talk about it on here because we just both think it's a given. We're like, yeah, juice <laughs> ball, whatever, move on.
0: Allegedly what happened is that the MLB made a change to the ball in its manufacturing stage. Uh yeah, it was basically after se- the 2015 All-Star, All-Star break. break, it's
1: the ball just started jumping off the bat like seemingly overnight.
0: It could not just be written off to small sample size because over the annals of baseball history, like no league-wide change had ever been seen at this rate and yeah. and sustained and, for this long. And, yeah, so it's,
1: it's basically persisted for the last two and a half years now.
0: So <laughs> as if the juice ball wasn't enough, <laughs> Tom Verducci writes this piece for Sports Illustrated and obligatory, we will link to it in the description. Yes, we will. The baseballs are slicker than usual, <laughs> and this may not seem really that relevant to you if you've never pitched or if you've never played baseball but specifically if you've never pitched but like a slick baseball even if it's only slightly slicker than what you're used to throwing changes everything because the grip of a pitch makes the pitch essentially like your arm is only what your arm is but your grip if it's fucked up at all like it, it can make the pitch move a Different direction than you want it to, and in the World Series, with a lineup that's as stacked as the Astros or the Dodgers, and a pitch is moving in a direction that you don't want it to, and it's ju- and the ball's juiced, it's going over the fence, as we saw in game five. So, if this game five's mayhem was not a direct corollary of this, but you know, it definitely didn't help that the ball was slick and that the ball was juiced. So, for starters, a do you believe the ball is slick, b do you believe that it made for what you? supposed earlier was the most crazy ridiculous arcade game of a baseball game that has ever been played
1: i think the ball probably is slick i think he mentions that lance mccullers i think it was went into the bullpen and did like a blindfold test between an old baseball and the new one and could like inst- <laughs> this is
0: not science <laughs> literally 24 year old lance mccullers just going out there before the game on a day he's not pitching he could be mark burley drunk we wouldn't even know it <laughs> No, but I
1: the supposedly he was able to immediately tell which one was the new baseball. And if it was just him, then yeah, fine. But Darvish was saying the same thing. We've had a lot of pitchers and pitching coaches be like, the ball is very clearly yeah. different. So it's not quote-unquote science, but you do have... <laughs> literally all the people who are directly dealing with this being like, this is not what we have used literally the entire rest of the year. Yeah,
0: and Rob Manfred (laughs) insists, as he did with the fact that the balls weren't used, he insists that the balls are not different. The only thing that's different about these balls is that the logo on them is printed in gold and says the World Series as opposed to just being printed in regular black or blue ink or whatever, just saying MLB. So, I don't know, man. I, I also believe that it's slick because there's no way Clayton Kershaw hangs that slider to Yuli Gurriel the way that he did. I just don't believe it. And... I think it's a failure on the pitcher's part to not stray away from their slider if they didn't feel good with it in warm-ups with the slick balls. But also, at the same time, you have a whole year of a sample size of this pitch working.
1: That's so hard to be like, hey, um, you know... Th- is it you hard, know-
0: though? Because Kershaw just decided that he was going to stop throwing his slider like, for think- like months at a time. Yeah,
1: I don't think it's fair to use Kershaw, the best pitcher <laughs> on the planet, as your example. I think it's more fair to use a Darvish, guy like yeah. Darvish or Peacock, who's one of whose primary pitches is a slider, right? It's like, hey... And it's it's important to point out that the slider is the pitch that is most affected by this because yeah. there's more contact in that grip between your fingers and the um, surface of the baseball, whereas the curveball is more like on the seams and the fastball is on the seams as well. But the slider, a lot of it is you're touching the...
0: What we should do is we should just do it. We should make an interactive video of yeah. how you hold the ball. <laughs> like we'll embed it into this post. But yeah. Like-
1: so the, So this is something that affects one pitch or one or two pitches more than the rest, and so I wonder pitchers anyone rely throws, on
0: that. Yeah, I wonder if anyone throws, like, the full hand changeup, like, as opposed to the circle change, because I feel like that that would be fucked, man. Yeah. I'd be, like, skipping that one 53 feet. Yeah. But the math to back this up, which is, is in the Verducci article, is that, like, Darvish only got one swing and miss on his slider, and he didn't get any strikeouts on it, and that has not happened all year or something like that. Like, one of... 20-something times he threw the slider only once was a swing and miss, and that has, like, never happened over the course of his career. So the math, although in a small sample size against one of the best lineups that we've ever seen, does kind of back this up. And if I'm getting firsthand accounts from actual players who are willing to go on the record and say this, and at the risk of being – absolutely shredded apart by like hot take media guys for co- making an excuse for why they're pitching bad in the world series i probably believe it and also tom verducci is fantastic so pretty much everything he says i'm like gospel
1: i will say i was reading an article on fan graphs the other day from travis Sachik, and he was kind of looking at the looking behind the numbers at things like spin rate and how much pitchers like sliders were moving and he didn't find very much. Peacock's numbers were a little off, but like... Darvish's numbers were off though. Uh, yeah. Um, like an inch off. Yeah. Which is a lot. That Yeah, that is a lot. Um, but there were other guys who kind of saw negligible differences and negligible spin rates, so it's really hard to tell, right? I think the ball probably is different. It's, it's the goat. The ball's the goat. <laughs> you can We can have a conversation about who is adjusting to it better, right? And some... Some it's also arguable that just some of the pitchers aren't having good games, right? You yeah. can't be like, oh, well, the reason or Ken probably... Giles is bad is because of the <laughs> is because of the juice, uh, because of the slick ball. It's like, no, Ken Giles has just been bad. Like, <laughs> so, I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, do you? Our
0: favorite, uh, retired pitcher Twitter account Dan Herron <laughs> <laughs> tweeted that he was like, "Damn, I'm lucky that I'm not pitching the juice ball era because I would have been fucked." Uh, yeah. Um,
1: I mean. I think that this is probably the last thing that Moby wants to be talked about right now, right? So I mean, we're going to talk about it for so 15 So we're going to talk minutes. about it. I mean, can you imagine, like, <laughs> Rob Manfred sitting there watching the balls fly out of the park last night's game, just, like, slowly sliding down in his chair, just like, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> like, oh, fuck. <laughs> the score is, like, 28 to 26, and he's like, shit, shit, shit. Call the other balls back. Like... <laughs> He's like, I went too hard. (laughs) I don't know, man. I mean, whether the slick ball is the reason we had a 13 to 12 baseball game or not, it was amazing. I hope we're not blaming the slick ball for those home runs because they still had to hit the home runs. Like, these are still incredible feats of talent, right? And
0: ready for my take? Yeah. Corked bats. bats. Corked (laughs) Corked bats. bats. That's what it is.
1: Corked bats. Corked bats and slicked balls. And juice balls. And juiced slicked
0: balls. Can we read the Jose Canseco tweet, please? I've been waiting <laughs> literally the whole podcast for Which one? For this. The one that I sent to you. All right, all right. Our man, potentially the captain of our all-asshole teams, <laughs> Jose Canseco, felt the need to tweet in the middle of the most ridiculous World Series game of all time. He felt the need to tweet. What does he say, Alex?
1: The balls in my pants have less juice in them. Than the balls in this game.
0: All hail.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The one and only. (laughs) Jose Canseco. God, I love him and I hate him.
0: Yeah, he's just, ugh. I wonder, what's his next indie League stop? Let's go. Let's find him
1: that would be fun yeah it actually would be let's do it let's just go
0: (laughs) new idea uh we find where jose canseco is playing within like driving distance and we go and we just sit there doing dramatic readings of his tweets from the stands until he notices us i feel like that would definitely get us some like we might get on sports center
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm so into it man that would that'd be fun let's get him on the pod oh yeah that'd be you might have to do a lot of editing i don't know how coherent it would be but, uh, he would break
0: a mic. I'd be like <laughs> fucking $10,000 out. and then, Yeah, he'd break something. Um, before we start reading more Jose Canseco tweets, because God only knows. <laughs> let's wrap up. So there are still, t- well, there might be one game left in the series, but there, let's be real. There's probably two games left in this series, because...
1: Puig certainly thinks so. He promised there would be a game seven, so...
0: Yeah, well, he is delivering on his promises, so I believe yeah, it. I so yeah, game six and seven. The trite question, what are you looking forward to?
1: Uh, I'm looking forward to baseball. I'm looking forward to, like, the pitchers being decent again. I don't know. I kind of want to see Rich Hill get go- good. I don't want to see Rich Hill get knocked around. Please don't do that to me. Please. I don't know if my he heart... He looks
0: knocked around already. <laughs> no,
1: I don't know if my heart can take that. After the game against the Pirates earlier this year, right, Um, where he lost the perfect game, no oh. hitter. I mean, I he doesn't need to to get shelled in the World Series. So. Oh my god, yeah.
0: The one thing that would break 2017 me is watching Rich Hill and Justin Verlander get knocked around <laughs> <laughs> after get after that game 5. Yeah. I think that would actually like break my will. So, I going into the offseason broken will is bad. <laughs> it's a bad thing to have. I mean, I already had it when the regular season ended because of the Mets and I've gained my will back and now to have it broken again would really hurt.
1: So, this is going to be fun. I'm kind of hoping that it's more of a pitchers duel. I think that that would be great to watch. And, again, I'm kind of pulling for Hill, mostly because I want a Game 7. Slash, I don't want my heart to shatter into a million pieces. And then, beyond that, I really want to see Kershaw bounce back. Please give that to me. (laughs) I don't even really care who wins Game 7. I just want, like, a good baseball game. Please, please end on, like, a normal good baseball note.
0: Okay, first are you done with your get-off-my-lawn-less-home-runs-pitcher's-duel rant? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm <laughs> fucking with you. I, I actually love a good pitcher's duel. Here we are at our geriatric home <laughs> with our canes and our wheelchairs. Oh, we love a good one, I think. Uh, anyway, back in my day. <laughs> here's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Verlander versus Hill is an amazing pitching matchup, and so was Keichel and Kershaw, but that game exists in a separate world that does not pertain to ours. So potentially a great pitching matchup. I want the Dodgers to eke it out and I want Verlander to come out early enough to set up the potential Game 7, Kershaw and Verlander in relief. I mean, I guess Kershaw would probably start Game 7, but the potential of seeing Verlander and Kershaw get used in a World Series Game 7 against each other was what we were talking about when we were previewing the series. Potentially one of the best head-to-head matchups in the series was Kershaw versus Verlander. And so if we can get to a Game 7 And like an anything goes game seven where AJ Hinch is just like, you know what? I was in a bar fight earlier in this series. I don't give a fuck if I have to use Justin Verlander. (laughs) I don't give a fuck if I have to use Justin Verlander on zero days rest (laughs) in game seven of the World Series. I will do whatever it takes. I will beat up a Dodgers fan. I will use Justin Verlander on no days rest. I don't even care. So that's, that's what I am personally looking forward to. I'm all about it. I want, we need
1: at least like one or two more weird things. Like I want very normal baseball with like something fucking bizarro mixed in where you were just like, what that? No. Why is that happening? Like, like Dave Roberts, just decides to bring in Corey Seager to close out the game. Because because why not? Even though it's a 3-1 game, he comes in and throws 96. Oh, and so
0: 13-12 was too hokey for you. But Corey Seager coming in to close out Game <laughs> 7 of the World Series, that's fine. Apparently. Who the hell even knows what you believe anymore? But I don't know what I believe anymore. Honestly, I just have one more thing to say. Yes. And that's Ghost Stros. H-Town. Let's do this. All right. <laughs> I'm now the world's biggest Azruth fan because I went in love with George Springer. What a beautiful face I have found in this place that is circling all around the sun. What a beautiful dream that could flash on the screen in a blink of an eye and be gone from me. Soft and sweet, let me.
1: I, I know I was kind of rooting for the Dodgers, and they were my pick at the beginning of the series. I just I just want game seven. That's really all I want. I want as much baseball as I can get at this point yeah, don't really like, don't take it from me <laughs> we one are, day
0: early we're squeezing the hell out of this just getting every last bit of juice that we possibly can out of the 2017 yeah. season
1: well then the next time we talk there's going to be no baseball anymore which is a really sad thought I'm like tearing up just there's just,
0: never no baseball we'll make baseball yeah we'll make baseball Oh. If y'all aren't ready, there's going to be some weird baseball in this offseason, so enjoy this while it lasts. Oh, we're we're, uh, we're cultivating a list of some <laughs> weird shit. <laughs> enjoy games six and seven. Honestly, rewatch every game of this series so far to prepare for game six and seven. Uh, that's what we'll be doing over the next 24 hours. And that's pretty much it. If you've got questions, comments, concerns for us uh, that you want answered after this wild series comes to a close, hit us up on Twitter at tipping underscore pitches, or uh, send us, shoot us an email. What's our email, Alex? I believe it's tippingpitchespod
1: at gmail.com, although I don't know because I haven't logged in in
0: a few weeks. Definitely no messages waiting
1: for us. No messages. It's all from Twitter.
0: Rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, do that. Or uh, Google Play or Stitcher. Or we're, we got all three now, baby. Yeah, man, we're everywhere. So that just about does it. We'll see you when the 2017 baseball season's over. Yeah, enjoy the last couple games, everyone. Thanks, y'all.